Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, July 20th. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Today, we're going to take up part three of Racism in America. We have our distinguished panel back together. It's been been about 10 months since we last convened and talked, so I'm going to bring the bring these guys in one at a time. And uh, first of all, Slim Dog at Slim Dog. Slim, how are things going? Good, 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 Rod. Uh, good to be back with everybody uh, again. It was such a great time 10 months ago. I can't believe it's been almost a year since yeah. the last time we all got together. You know, yeah. time flies. It goes really fast, things, man. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things have happened, you know, in those 10 months. So yeah. it'll be a real interesting conversation tonight, and I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Uh, next, uh, Dwayne B. Evans. Dwayne, people yes, can sir. find you at uh, DB Excellence. How are things going? Everything is, is going wonderfully. Our, our company is growing. We get ready to hit our, our sixth annual uh, footage truck event. You know, we'll be collecting uh, toiletries and the blankets and stuff for the homeless. Uh, so we, we partner with uh, Matt Nolia Project and uh, Shiloh Baptist Church. So we made a, a real community event this year. So everything is, is good. We're, we're, that's like 23, 22 days left before we hit that event. One of our biggest events of the year. So very exciting. And, and I've, I'm going to stop right here because you have a book out. You you yeah. are an author. And yeah, I did it through my book too. Yes. Yeah, we, we want to hear about this. Your book's called Therapeutic Release. Yes, Therapeutic Release. It is a, the first of, this is the one of three. Uh, volume, this is volume one I released back in um, May. Uh, volume two would be out by around October. I'm trying to put a cover and a design and stuff together for that now. Uh, I have all, all this to go into it. Uh, I just have to put it together. Like I said, I gotta finish this event first. So, but yeah, uh, it took me took me a minute to uh, put everything and all my thoughts together. I know you and I had talked about doing a podcast, but this made it a little bit easier for me to start uh, on this on this journey on this process. I had to get my thoughts out on paper, and end up turning into a series of books, and then that book became a, a textbook to add it to my programs for our nonprofit so <laughs> we'll see how that works out <laughs> yeah so um tell us a, just a little bit give us a teaser about the book and and tell us where people can find it so you can go to amazon.com uh, again it's, it's self-published so uh, it's not hard to find uh, when you go into type in the word therapeutic release in the search box and then search under books it's like the third thing that comes up because you just type in therapeutic release you're going to get all kinds of stuff like massage balls and oils and all kinds of stuff but you got to type, type the subtext under books and it's a, like the third one that comes up um, but it's, it's a book of po- poetry uh, similar to what we talk about now it is pretty much a lot of different stuff that was on my mind this uh, with like domestic violence and um, the world that we live in um, just put it into a, a poetic form. Nice. Well, that's a, that's 
that's uh, superb, and I'm, I'm very happy for you. Excellent work there. Thank you. And uh, hope everybody checks that out. Uh, next, we're going to move on to, uh, to Coach Tolliver. You find him at Coach Tolliver 26. Coach, how are things going? Uh, everything is, is going. Um, if it hasn't been training, it's been working these COVID orders from a state. Um, we're getting ready to demob now. Uh, which means that our jobs are done. Hopefully, uh, people are still getting vaccinated um, and uh, taking care of themselves. Um, of course, we all seeing these bumps in numbers, but uh, other than that, just doing this military thing, always on the go. Got a couple months just to chill out and prepare for the next objective. But other than that, everything is going pretty well. That, that sounds good because I mean. I'll- you know, a lot of us talk about being busy, like we got a lot of stuff to do. But, man, I just have a feeling that most of us, <laughs> we don't probably do half of what you do. And we just we just feel like we're like we just can't keep up with what we're doing. Well, and, I, I tell you one thing. Uh, we had a training uh, event over in California. Um, everybody knows about California. It really sucks. And so while out <laughs> <laughs> Desert. I had the opportunity to uh, think about my life decisions and uh, pretty much came up with that. I suck at this thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it, it, it's been fun. It, the training has been great. Uh, I'm always amazed by the young soldiers and, of course, by the ones who've done their time, always there, willing, never complaining. And if they do, nobody listens because we all out there anyway. <laughs> But uh, I'm just amazed at, at our our, uh, our young people that's in the military. Very phenomenal gu- young guys and uh, ladies. So you guys hear me say guys. I'm, that's how we generally talk about everybody. So, yeah, yeah females and males, they're just amazing. Very amazing young people. Yeah. Well, it, it's great to have you here uh, once again, Coach. And last but not least is, is uh, Jeff. My brother, as everybody knows, uh, Jeff. How are things going? Uh, they're they're going, Rod. You know, I, I mentioned as we were warming up that it's still only Tuesday, and it feels like it's been a week already. <laughs> yeah, I had to look at the calendar twice. I'm like, Tuesday, really? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some weeks are like that, guys. It's just how yeah. it is. But I'm pleased to be back with this uh, distinguished group of fine gentlemen. Yeah, so uh, so let's let's just let's dive right in, guys. So um, I actually have the date. The last time we talked was September the tenth of of twenty twenty. So yeah, so uh, yeah, it's been right at ten months. Um, I kind kind of struggle with this, guys, because I'm I'm thinking, you know, well, what's what's changed since then? Well. You know, to to try to think about what's changed with with racism. You know, has, have things changed or whatever? I mean, that's that's still a relatively short period of time to expect any major changes. So, I thought the way we would look at this is to look at events that have happened since we last talked, and you know, kind of. Uh, I, I really just rather than look at statistics and things like that. Because I didn't pull any statistics, guys. I don't know if any of you did, but I just really wanted to get everybody's impressions and feelings about where things are going and, and uh, things of that nature. So 
I've got a few things written down that have happened since we last talked. And I just kind of thought we'd go around and talk, um, you know, about um, what we what we thought of these things and, you know, what impact we think these have on, on where the country's headed as far as, um, you know, how 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 everybody gets along. OK, um, the, the first thing I wrote down was uh, was and these these aren't in any order. OK, um, I didn't go back and look at dates or anything like that. So uh, the first one I wrote down was the was the sentencing of, of Derek Chauvin. OK, um, this this was an event that, you know, could have caused major turmoil in this country. It, you know, it could have. It, it could have uh, led to to riots and a lot of things if you know if it didn't go right. Um, but he was sentenced to to 22 and a half years. So I'm I want to just kind of go around and and I want you guys to give me your your thoughts on this, and I'll just leave it at that. So. I'm, we'll just start with the uh, with the order I introduced you guys in. So, Slim, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was a mixture of feelings when it when it happened. Uh, honestly, and uh, a lot of African Americans thought the same way. We didn't think it was going to be guilty across the board. I really didn't think it was going to be guilty across the board like that. And when it happened, I broke down and cried. I uh, sobbed, you know, uncontrollably because that has never happened to an officer uh, before to get sentenced. Even though I think the sentence should have been greater, mm-hmm. 22 years is is a start. I mean, you have to crawl before you can walk. It's a start. But it lets me know, well, hopefully we'll see with the other, you know, uh, right when that happened, we had the other killing of the young man in Minneapolis. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes as well. But uh, with Chauvin, it was a start. That man, he murdered George Floyd. He murdered George Floyd. And, and, uh, I just wish, you know, uh, it would have been more years, but I will take the 22. I'll take the 22 and a half. Uh, but it is a step, a step in the right direction. Um, I just hope that it continues and we have to keep fighting. You know, we uh, can never sit back on our on our haunches after this and say, oh, things are great again. Because there's still a ways to go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dwayne, I'll let you weigh in on on your feelings and thoughts. Okay. Um, so, I guess it kind of mixed emotions. Um, it wasn't just for people of color. Because I, I, I talked to a lot of my coworkers, just in general, a lot of people, I get, again, I, I work for the VA. So a lot of people that I talked to, when, when the verdict came across, they were you know, just talking on the phone, it was like just in general, like veterans, 
like just in general, like you know, they felt the same way. They kind of just broke down into you know stop like because they they felt like we got one win out of however many losses. It's, it's kind of like to put a put a lighter note on on the subject. It's kind of like when we when the Browns beat, beat the Steelers twice last year. We got one win out of like fifty losses, but that one win felt like super great. Mm-hmm. You still got a long way to go. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's there's not that one win is not going to take over you know decades of you know constant abuse and loss and you know overnight. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's something we talked about you know on on the the previous podcast is no. Mm-hmm. No one, no no one event or, or one person or anything's gonna fix everything all at once. So you're so you're looking for steps like this, you know, to to right. get things moving in the right direction and hopefully, I don't know if you call it momentum or not, but you know, hopefully get things going the way they should be going. You know, make things right. So, uh, so coach, uh, we'll let you weigh in on this. Um, I think I'm just like slim on that a bit, but I look at things a little bit deeper than what I'm supposed to at times. So there was a song that was created by, I believe it was, uh, Billie Holiday called Strange Fruit that she came out in the twenties with. And that was the strange fruit was a a black man being hung in a tree. And then mm-hmm. in the 60s and the 70s, I believe Marvin Gaye came out with a song uh, talking about police br- brutality. And then you come out, you know, now people are still saying the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. So you have something that's been going on since the inception of this country. Folks been saying that this year has been going on forever. And the only reason why people are getting caught is because we have these great devices called cell phones. So when you look at it from my perspective, just like the brothers just were saying, this one victory out of countless amounts of men, women, you know, people getting assaulted and getting hung. I mean, 2010 in Mississippi, there was a guy that was hung. He, they said he killed himself, but his hands were tied behind his back. So, of course, I want to look at the good that, yeah, he, he's been punished. But what about the others? And then when I'm constantly seeing people, especially on Twitter, he should have complied. He should have did this. He should have did that. I, I wish people would learn empathy. What would you say if it was your child? What would you do if you saw your child on the ground with a knee in his neck begging for his mother? Instead of thinking that this is someone's child, he was just a criminal. I, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's that's the thing that I have a problem with. And, and I hate to go off into the other one because I was almost in tears when I saw a young lieutenant who got pulled over while in uniform. Mm-hmm. 
being treated the way he was. He was in uniform, clean shave. Now, granted, he was at Fort Lee. He's probably a logistic officer, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, which is definitely not a bad thing because we all sign up for the same thing, you know, to defend this country. You know, we, we are in this thing because we actually love this place. And to see how he was treated like he was nothing while wearing a uniform. And that's been the biggest problem that I've been having as a man. Yeah. I had a kid ask me, and this is this has always been tough, but it just hit a little harder when he asked me, like, how in the world can you fight for a country that does not care for you? And he I didn't have a whole lot. I, I couldn't say anything. Because the way I was brought into this thing, every last one of the men in my family served, every last one except for maybe two. They were smart. Um, and they always believed that, hey, because I'm here, I'm, I'm paving the way for you. And, and like I said, it, it's a tale of two Americas. It's the one that we want to talk about, that we all want to revere and say that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and it's the other one that nobody wants to talk about. That's why I commend you, Rob, for doing this. That's all I got on well, that one. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Coach. I, I was going to go back to the, the Billy Holiday song that you mentioned. I, I mean, that was 100 years ago. I, um, I think I saw on TV probably a special um, that I was watching that was talking about, you know, the history of, you know, some, some songs in that vein. And um, I, I'm sure that song was pretty much banned, that she wasn't even allowed to sing that song most places so i don't know about what happened with marvin gay's song in the 60s but uh, you know right around that period of time i don't know but um i know that was the case with with her song um okay jeff uh jeff i'll let you let you weigh in on this and then then um, i'm gonna get back to something that coach said after that sure um there's not a lot I can add to what the, these guys already said. Um, it, it's hard to see these kinds of things as victories. Um, you know, I, I think there's some, I don't know what the right word is, vindication felt in the community that, you know, someone is being held accountable. Um, but I don't yeah. think that, that the the sentence can ever equal the, the hurt that's felt, you know, no matter what the crime is that's committed. Um, you know, I just wonder if these types of things move us forward or do they really still act as things that divide us? The way they're covered, um, the conversations around them um, and the expectations, you know, are, are we moving past police brutality with this kind of a verdict or is it just causing people to really dig their heels in even more? And I'm sure there's, you know, some strong feelings on, on both sides of that. 
Yeah, guys, I, you know, I'm going to moderate primarily here, but for, for me, uh, you know, I'm not really going to go into my feelings, but, but for me that, 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 uh, the verdict and the sentencing was almost, uh, like a stop the bleeding, uh, thing in this case. It really, like you said, Jeff, it doesn't, it doesn't fix anything that happened, but you know, it's, it kept things from getting worse if, you know, if the verdict, you know, if he was, uh, you know, if they, if he, he got, um, if he was found innocent or, you know, or, and, you know, or, or sentenced to, to 18 months or something like this, you know, um, it, it was a verdict that, uh, and, and sentencing that people at least felt like they could, they could live with, I think for the most part, you know, I, I'm speaking for myself and what, what I'm assuming. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody felt that way or not, but that's kind of the way I saw it. It was like, well, at least this happened to where people are going to feel like there was, um, you know, it, it's not just us, but it's like, at least we can kind of say we probably got the best out of this that we could hope to get. And maybe, just maybe something positive will come out of that part of it in the future. So uh, I want to go back to to what Coach was talking about uh, when he was asked, "Does your does your country care for you?" And I understand uh, I, I understand how that could be difficult for you to answer. Um, but I I want to know how how you guys how you guys all look at that. Um, because there's obviously people that do care and people that respect and and I'm, I'm talking right now I'm talking about uh, uh, servicemen and women okay people that respect and, and love and, and and really appreciate what you're doing and then there's these other people okay and and the things in the country that aren't happening you know are happening that shouldn't be happening um, so how do you how do you reconcile those uh, like you said coach two different parts of the country when you're deciding whether the country cares for you because you're trying to lump two things together so coach i'll let you go first and then we'll, then we'll let the other guys weigh in on it I, I know it's probably a tough thing to my grandma told me that black people we are schizophrenic. We have two personalities. We have one that believes in the future of what things could possibly be. And then you have another that sees things for what they are. So we're always hopeful. We're always under the belief that, yes, this year is going to matter. What I'm doing is going to matter for the next generation. So I, I see what my dad is trying to explain to me, you know, because I asked him the same thing. I think this was around 92, 93 when the movie X came out. <laughs> and um, when, you know, brothers Ben were kneeling, sitting down, not kneeling, but sitting down for the flag. And and it was amazing because when Colin, Colin Kaepernick, when he started kneeling, um, Somebody asked me, well, why do you still stand? Of course, the, the answer is I'm in the Army, right? I yeah. can't. 
meal. But I told that kid that the reason why I stand is because regardless of how I may feel, there is some 17, 18-year-old kid that's in a different country that's getting ready to be called on to do the impossible. He's going to get ready to change his life by either getting killed or doing the killing. So I respect that kid. Yeah. So I have this thing in my head where I do believe that if I work my butt off, that when it's time for my kids to to uh, make their names, that I at least kind of did something to make it just a little bit easier. I mean, that's the really the crux of our whole lives. We want to make sure our kids have a little bit better than what we had. Yeah. You know, and so for me, I, I you know, it's a battle. But I know what why I'm here. I know what I have to do. Have I had times while being in the uniform that I have had racist encounters? Absolutely. Absolutely. More than one. Matter of fact, I'm dealing with one right now. <laughs> Going back and forth in my head. Because I know what I can do. But just the idea that, you know, you, you have that young man just ask you and, you know, you know the answer and, you know, you, you give it all up, you know, go to work every day, PT your butt off. And then you see a guy, you know, get done the way that young lieutenant was done. That, that, that was tough for me. And that's really yeah. been bothering the hell out of me. Like, um. You know, my dad, he had a situation where he returned from Vietnam and the guy that he served with, he saved his life. When they got back in, you know, 19, but 70, 71, the guy didn't even know. Told him to get his food in the back. So. You know, it's, it's a lot of pain, you know, with that for me at this, you know, right now. But I know what I have to do. I know what must be done. And I know that, you know, the soldiers that I have, the ones that actually went to D.C. for the BLM, <laughs> for the uh, riot control for that, I had to talk with them young soldiers. Uh -huh. And that was tough because it was like, sir, <laughs> I don't know what to think. You know, I don't, I don't know what to believe. And then, of course, me being a leadership, <sighs> soldier is tough, but we have a mission and we have to complete that mission. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's that's probably like the hardest part is uh, you see all this stuff going on. And then January 6th and you see all that, that anger, you know, people just doing our capital that way. <laughs> you know, the, oh, the, yeah. this thing. And, you know, you probably have relatives that fought in World War II. The last war that we had that actually we, we fought for the Constitution because it was in danger. The last war that 
everybody put in blood, sweat, and tears. From the workers in the factories to the women working, creating bullets, selling bonds. And for those people to go to that capital and disrespect it was, I, I got a lot on my head. I'm sorry, I could talk about this all day. Um, okay. Just the amount of disrespect, man. Just the amount of disrespect. But a lot of my guys and myself included, we, we know what we're here for. We suck it up, we drive on, that's what we do. You know, we, you know, African-Americans are forgiving people. That's, you know, so to, to our peril at times. But I must say that when it comes down to, of course, the Bible and, and, and when it comes down to hearing the song, uh, the Black National Anthem, which is, <laughs> Everybody knows the song. And that's all about the promised land, the same promised land that Martin Luther King talked about. Us being in a free country, being in a free society. So I'm sorry for being long winded. No, no, that's 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 cool. Just to expound on that, you know, lift every voice and sing. If you look at it, it's not just the Black National Anthem. It's, it's, it's lift every, every voice, every voice in America, all together, black, white, you know, brown, yellow, purple, lift every voice, you know, like you said, the promised land where we're all one people. And me personally, I'm not a soldier. And I thank you, uh, coach and, and Dwayne, I think you serve. And yes, yes, yes. Thank you. And not sure, Rod and Jeff, if you guys have served at all. Um, no, no. I can, I can never know what you guys have gone, what you guys go through. You know, serving this country that that you guys love, that I love. You know, just like James Baldwin said, I love America more than any other country on this planet. Therefore, I should have. It should be my privilege and my right. The criticizer when things are when things are bad, you know, um, and the closest that I can even get to where you got what you guys are t- uh, going through, what you're talking about is watching my father as a cop being hired in 1963 at 22 years of age. You know, his first assignment they assigned him the guard, the Ku Klux Klansman at a KKK rally in Akron. God is my witness. That was his first, one of his first assignments. Oh, cow. Yeah. Yeah. One of his first assignments. And I have a, you know, great uncle, uh, Dr. Bill Bell, you know, rest in peace. He was a Tuskegee Airman. I'm sure when he got back, along with other black soldiers. They didn't get the respect as well. I will never know. And I commend you guys, you know, f- for what you guys have gone through and are going through because I'll never I'll never know that aspect. And uh, therefore you have, you know, uh, my sincere gratitude, you know, and I thank y'all for, for fighting for our country, you know, and representing when sometimes it's hard to, and you have to ask, why are you doing this? Yeah, Dwayne, would you like to weigh in on this? Absolutely. 
So, I'm going to give you two, two, two different stories. Okay. So, the, the, the first one is why I originally served. Um, I originally went in uh, because of my my family history. Uh, my grandfather, I, I'll tell anybody, anybody who actually knows me knows my grandfather is my superhero. Okay. He did 10 years in the Army, 10 years in the Air Force, got out, it did 20 years with the FAA, and then had been doing um, volunteer work at the VA hospital until he, he couldn't work anymore. All right. Uh, so that man has, like I said, he dedicated his life to service. Okay. That, that's the reason why I originally went in to serve. Not for, not for this country, not for the, the benefits of going to school and all the other stuff like that. I served because my father was a Marine. My grandfather served. Both my parents served. My brother served. My, my family history. Okay. Like Coach said, like every, almost every man in his family served. That's pretty much how, how my family is. So that's the reason why I originally served. Now, once I got in, and I learned stuff and learned how stuff actually worked and became political and all this stuff like that. I was like, nah, this is why I got in trouble. <laughs> because I speak my mind a little bit too much at times. Mm. And I was told once, uh, and I'll never forget this. He said, the day that I started asking questions, it was the day I stopped being a soldier. Because soldiers are trained to do as they're told, do as they're told, do as they're yeah, dang on told. And that's pretty much the truth. So I got here's the second here's the second story. Uh, we were in uh, Iraq, and we were in the um, was the NWR tent, and they asked the question about what, what's your favorite movie, and I told them we were soldiers, and I underlined the word "were" like twenty times. So they found out that we had wrote it. And they made our patrol uh, ride. Everybody had to write an essay of what it means to be a soldier. I was like, are you sure you really want the answer to that question? And they were like, yeah, we really want to know what, what your thoughts of being a soldier, what it means to be a soldier to you. So pretty much it wasn't just my thought. And again, it's not about black or white. Everybody generally now feels the, the same way. That once you raise your right hand, as the day you no longer become a person, as the day you no longer become human, as the day you, you sold your rights to the government, you, you have to do as you're told. You do what they say, when they say, how they say, and no matter what the color of your skin is. That's the reason why, like, like, like Coach said, when the, 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 the lieutenant was, was pulled over at the airport in his uniform and they treated him like he was left over trash because they didn't see the uniform. That part didn't matter. All I seen was the color of his skin. That's the part that it, that people don't understand. Most people get mad. Well, well he's a soldier. You, you should, should treat him with respect. All they saw was the color of his skin. They didn't matter what what his, what his rank was in the military. It didn't matter how, that he served the country. He could be getting ready to retire and serve like my like my my grandfather and my brother and all in the that didn't matter. All this stuff was the color of his skin. And it treated like any other person. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, would you like to weigh in on this or would you like to kick off the next segment? I I just want to add real quick, Rod, that, you know, you and I didn't serve, um, you know, our dad was in, was in the guard. Um, our family history is filled with people who served this country going all the way back to the Revolutionary War. Um, I think service to this country is um, vastly overlooked by the majority of people today. Um, it's, it's devalued in terms of how important it is to learn sacrifice and to, to be able to, to um, contribute to the greater good. I think that's the piece that we're missing today. Um, we've become such a selfish country. We're so driven by our, our own ambitions and our greed um, that we lose sight of the greater good, which is really, you know, what this country was founded on certain principles of, of um, opportunity for everybody and what's holding us back. I think I forget who mentioned it earlier uh, is our ability to be empathetic toward, toward our fellow citizens. And, you know, everything that we talk about regarding race relations is, is today is being driven by the fact that, we can't empathize with how other people think or how other people view things. Um, and we're just sort of digging our heels in to our own beliefs and we're getting them constantly reinforced by whatever media is serving us, you know, our, our own beliefs on a platter. Um, so, you know, World War II um, was really the last time we all had to sort of dig down and, and you know, sacrifice for the common good. I think that's a, a really good point. We've all forgotten what that means, you know, what it means to do that. Um, COVID was a great opportunity for all of us to learn that lesson again and find ways to contribute to a better society. Um, but what we've seen is polarization, um, people digging their heels in according to their beliefs and we're not able to accomplish a single goal like defeating a common enemy because we can't get past our own personal interests. Um, and that's really what I think is perpetuating all the issues that we have with, with race relations in this country. Yeah. Let's, uh, you mentioned you mentioned COVID, so let's uh, let's just move on to that as the next topic. And uh, um, I'm actually I'm I think I'm going to actually uh, kind of let Coach steer this one because he's kind of, <laughs> kind of an in-house expert on this topic. Um, you know, we we've seen a lot of things happen with COVID over the last ten months. You know, obviously uh, since we since we talked last. Uh, you know, spikes and uh, masks and, you know, no masks and vaccines and uh, people not wanting to wear masks and uh, people arguing about, you know, whether it's their right to do different things and 
and all that. So um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I guess I just wanted to kind of bring that up as a major occurrence in the past, you know, you know, over the past year or so. Um, I, I think, I think um, probably the main factor there in our discussion is that, um, Coach, I don't know what stats or, or things you know off the top of your head, but everything I've heard is that African-Americans are a lot less likely to get vaccinated than, than pretty much everybody else. Um, the only stats I found were that, uh, were that uh, you know, Asian or Asian-Americans are most likely, and then I think, you know, then I think it drops down to, to you know, to, to whites and then to Hispanics and then and that's uh, African Americans. So I'm going to turn it over to you and and get kind of your thoughts on on that and yeah. so, what it has to do with everything that we're talking about. Yeah. So it, within our state, the state that I'm in, um, actually, the African American uh, population has done extremely well. They were pretty much the first ones to go ahead and get the uh, the vaccinations. Um, and we're listening uh, to CDC guidance on uh, wearing the mask. I, I really can't give you the the numbers because, of course, you know, with the uh, the variant that has come out is pretty much crashing in on the party. Um, yeah. So me looking at it. So so in my state, we are demobbing. So the National Guard is completely done with the COVID mission for my state. Um, I'm praying that people, you know, take advantage of getting the shots for my state. Uh, of course, with all this disinformation, um, I, I think we're about to see some serious, you know, upticks um, in, in, in the sickness. Um, I, I have never seen anything you know, like this when it comes down to the news and the media. Um, I'm very disappointed in certain key leaders because even though uh, we are, you know, disproportionately affected, um, I, I think at the end of the day, when Jody sees his grandma is really sick and dies, that's really going to be the indicator that this thing is a lot more serious than what they anticipated. So just like, you know, your brother just said, too, and just like I said earlier about empathy. Americans only care when something affects them personally. Um, I just, Coach, I'm, I'm sorry. I just can't imagine there are that many people left that don't know somebody or of somebody who's really had a tough go of it with COVID yet already. You know, well, I had one of my good friends. He was four thousand nine hundred and fifty six that died of COVID. Um, he, he was like a father figure to me. And uh, he passed away. And then I had numerous other guys that passed away. I mean, just like you said, you would think that it has hit a lot of us. You know, we have known at least one person that has gotten COVID that may have passed away or had a hell of a battle. Mm-hmm. But for people to sit back and really think that this thing, oh, it's just nothing but the flu. Um, they, they really need to go to these doctors and ask them, 
I mean, a doctor's yeah. not going to lie. You know, what has he got to lie about? I mean, you think about it, if it was, you know, about economics or, or making money, he's getting more patients. He's getting paid. Right. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know? Don't get the shot. Yeah. We'll see you yeah. later. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You'll be dead on the ventilator. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I just don't understand. And then, you know, this is that that uh that fox patriotism like this my right to do this i you know give me liberty or give me death you don't take away my right to not wear a mask <laughs> okay that's why now schools are going to start late uh that's why you're not going to be able to go to a football game at full capacity and, and cheer on your team I me mean, i i don't know what it's going to take I, I i really don't and like i said when it comes to the African-American population, yes, we are disproportionately affected. It's in all a large part due be, uh, to uh, living conditions. Um, where I was working, some of the areas where I would go in the Delta, uh, didn't have no access to uh, care, health care. Um, but COVID is just one thing. We have diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Um, we have a lot of things going against us, and it's all because of not having affordable health care. Uh, anytime that you live in, in a state that I, you know, serve, you know, you're talking about people making $12,000 a year. You know, it's way below poverty. You know, are they really going to be able to go to the doctor and afford the medical care that they can receive, you know, to deal with their diabetes? So, you know, that's that's a totally different monster right there. That that just comes down to, you know, these politicians getting off their, their butts and, and doing their job, you know, making sure that each life is just as important as the guy that's making a million dollars a year. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, um, Slim, let's I'm, I'm going to let you weigh on in on this because you're you're affected uh, pretty much every day you work by what's going on with COVID. Yeah, it's a little different for, you know, for me, I really see the uh, people being non-empathetic uh, towards each other, especially when you're in a tube of 200 people flying at about 500 miles an hour, five miles in the sky, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's been, it's been crazy. I just... You know, as we discussed before, it's just been crazy. I don't know what people are thinking. Uh, it's really Americans are Americans are pretty much out of. You know, I fly internationally, so I see flying within the continental U.S. We have the most problems with passengers on our on our aircraft with mass compliance. Um, it also starts from our captains. You know, there's some that that do the guidelines. You know, we have to read. They have to read something uh, stating that you know there's a federal mask mandate. You must comply with the flight attendant's request. You must wear your uh, mask over your nose and mouth, and uh, you know only put it down when you take a drink and getting something to eat briefly it even starts there with some of the cockpit we have some captains that turn around and of course don't believe 
into COVID it, and they'll go, you know, I've had some go, Hey, uh, flight attendants, you're on your own. Uh, basically if, if you have problems, I don't want to have to write a report. You know, we have some that come on, I, you know, I'm tired of these dang masks and, you know, it's, it's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. It's a federal mandate and it starts there. You know, there's, you know, not just the passengers. Sometimes we have crew members that have no empathy for the, for the situation. And um, it's been a tough summer. It's been a tough summer. Me personally, I've, I've had to write up two people uh, uh, to where they got banned from flying on American again, ever again uh, for noncompliance, you know, just blatant, you know, I'll give people benefit of the doubt. In one case, I had a person that just blatantly didn't want to wear it, you know, walk to the back of the cabin. He turned around and saw me looking at him. He checked to see if I was watching, pulled it back, pulled it back down. I walked up to him, gave him the warning, and he had cut a slit <laughs> in his mask and then, tur- <laughs> and then turned around and yelled at me, I can't breathe. I'm like, I wear this dang thing 12 to 16 hours when I'm on, when I'm on the job, uh, yeah. uh, not taking it off. So if I can wear it and, and breathe, you can do that as well. And, you know, we've heard it all, you know, and I hope me personally, I hope it doesn't get to a point where uh, it gets physical. But I I there have been, you know, just the other day uh, fight with a flight attendant, you know, Southwest flight attendant got her teeth knocked out, you know, by a passenger. You know, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand where. People think they have such a right to where they put their hands on a crew member that's only trying to do their job. Um, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's been a, it's been amazing. And my fear is that with this Delta virus uh, happening, I'm not sure if the mask mandate they're going to drop it on September 13th. They're supposed to. Uh, review it again and possibly drop it on September 13th. But with the way it's building back up again in the United States, I got a feeling they're gonna they're gonna probably put it off uh, a little bit, and you know, still gonna have to deal uh, with this stuff maybe for a, a little bit longer. Uh, I took the vaccine not only to protect myself but to protect others. Yeah. Uh, uh, other passengers to protect my family. I travel to other countries like South America. They have it full blown, you know, Europe, you know, Asia, you know, I go to these places and I come back home and there was no question when they were starting to give out the, the vaccines. There was, I told my wife, there's no question that I'm going to take it because I have a daughter here that special needs uh, has a compromised immune system. Mm-hmm. I have uh, a wife that is over 60 that has uh, uh, minor health issues. I didn't want to take that risk of bringing something back from overseas and and having to live with myself if they've gotten sick and passed away. And I've had relatives that have passed away. I've had dear friends that have passed away from this COVID. It's no joke. And it's just hard for me 
to understand how some people don't take this virus seriously. Yeah, yeah, I understand completely. So, uh, Dwayne, I, I want to I want to give you a shot at that, but I want to add something to this. It, okay. Is there is there any chance that the the effects from COVID, the the shutdowns, uh, people being in isolation, uh, people wearing masks when they go out, people quarantining, is there any chance that this would have any effect on people's prejudices going forward? Um, it may. Um, that's, that's a very, very interesting uh, spin you put on that there. Uh, so it, it may. Um, so I was talking to you know, one of my younger brothers. He is a, um, he's a teacher, professor. I, I can call him professor. He teaches dance up in, in, in Maine. Um, I forget the name of his college, but the because he, he is a a mixed person, uh, he I guess he, he gets the and he's from Minnesota. He gets the uh, blunt of both uh, parts of racism. You know he he's too too black for this issue, but he's too too white for this issue because he, he he's not the typical like just like a, a fair skinned person. Like he he looks white, but you can you can tell that he has you know uh, black features and stuff in him. So, um, he 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 has taken a shot uh, because again he tra- the way he travels and stuff like that for for his job, and he's around constantly around different people and stuff like that. And he has to be up with close and personal. Uh, like you said, he so he has to, he has to take a shot. Is um, is a little difficult uh, for him at times. So I, I, w- I was joking with him at first. I was like, but you know, it it it, it kind of bugged me a little bit because he has more gray hair than I do. I like, this is my younger brother. I like, I like, why you got all this gray hair? Why are you so stressed out? He's like, man, this this life and the world that I'm living in. And we sat down and had a really long conversation about everything, you know, um, from the, the different stuff that he had been through, stuff that he had been going through, like this past. You know, year and a half. Um, well, like I said with, with the racism, because again, he was in in Minnesota with George Floyd and all the stuff that was going on up there, and how people would, would put uh, different stuff on 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 store walls and all that stuff like that. Then he lives in and works in Maine. Again, it's not the most cultural friendly per, uh, place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like so he's getting the the blunt of both things, but he has to, he has to work. He has to do what he has to do. Um, so it, it's it does play a part, and it's uh, on, on the one hand, like you said, because of, we've all been locked up, uh, so to speak, in in a sane asylum um, due due to this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so you would think that you know we, we would all feel this same uh, as, as you guys said early empathy for each other, or just in general. Hey, you know, we, we should try to get through this together. We should, you know, everybody should, you know, make sure you take, you know, extra vitamins, make sure you t- wear your mask, make sure you do this. But no, 
Um, I don't I don't see it actually going that route. Like you like uh, like you just said, you you see people constantly fighting and arguing more now because they want to be defiant. So. Mm-hmm. So Jeff. Hey. Uh, Hey, Mr. Rod, I I do need to say something real quick. Uh, So I saw on Twitter a couple days ago about some congressman saying that um, there were some soldiers that uh, leadership or officers or something that were talking about getting out the army if they were told to uh, get vaccinated, that it was going to be like a forced vaccination. Uh, I just want to let your listeners understand that. The Army's primary mission is to win our nation's battles, which means readiness. So if it's a officer, uh, anybody that's in a leadership that's saying that they want to get out because of vaccinations, they must be on their way out early anyway. Because if you've been in the Army or any military branch, you've already taken about 30,000 different types of vaccines. <laughs> facts. You know, facts. It's just you part know, of it, right? I mean, it's a part of the game. I mean, no telling. I probably took a shot where I made me lose hair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, but, like, we, we joked about our lot of survive anthrax, uh, yeah. smallpox. <laughs> I got every shot in it, but I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. <laughs> you remember the old cattle lines? Remember the cattle lines? Mm-hmm. You get in that cattle line, you getting shot up. So you got your, you know, when you get in the basic training, you got your PHAs every year. Where you got to get your shots. Then if you deploy, you got your shots. Then you're pre-deployed you your shots. Mm-hmm. You get all your post-deployment shots. So that's the least of somebody's word. That's a political thing. Uh, our job is readiness. We're here to win our nation's battles. If somehow that will affect our readiness, you better believe we'll be the first to get it. And if that officer is worth any grain of salt, he will be the first to take it. You mean they don't give you a little card where you get to check off which shots you want to get? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, keep your ass moving. That's how it pretty much goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Jeff, I um, want, want to uh, get to you on the uh, on COVID. Um, you know, I, I know you've been impacted by it. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of go back to what I was talking to Dwayne about and, and you know, maybe not, uh, you know, um, maybe not so much the the racism part of it or prejudices but just wondered if um you know if if you've seen a change in people um you know during this period and if so you know um, what kind of change have you seen in people you know your friends or anybody that you people that you interact with yeah i i run in a completely different circle um you know i've i've mentioned in the past that um, you know, the people I'm generally around every day, um, most of them don't even acknowledge that racism exists in this country. They just want it to go away. They want it to disappear. They want to not be bothered by it anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a community problem that, that they don't have a solution to. And so they'd rather just turn a blind eye to it. I think what COVID did is um, it sort of cemented this um, this idea that if you know if we just think a certain way, we can talk ourselves into anything. Um, and 
this what what coach mentioned about false patriotism. I think I think this is a strategy. I think you know that that um, a certain segment of leadership has um, adopted or, or continues to adopt that you know really has been around since the sixties of um, leveraging people's prejudices against each other to gain support um, and and to win power. Um, you know, if if I told you that that we could win World War II, um, and all the average citizen had to do was go down to the drugstore and get a free shot. How many people do you think would have refused to do that in the 1940s? Nobody. I mean, they would all stood in line, you know, the first people, day. People, yeah, people would have been standing in line the first day, and everybody would have been vaccinated within a month. Okay, yeah. but but because today we we formulate our our truths based on what we believe or what we want to believe. We can convince ourselves of anything. And and then we go and, and, and we listen to people who share those ideas. And that those are the only people we interact with. And it just it further cements those those thought processes. You know, um, for me, what's changed is I call those people out. I call bullshit. You know, I'm in a meeting yesterday and one of the leaders of my company said, uh, you know, just, just I'm off the cuff, you know, we're talking about business and off the cuff. He said, Oh, oh by the way, did everybody see that, uh, the NFL is going to start playing the black lives matter national anthem before games. And I looked at him and I said, what the hell, first of all, where the hell did that come from? Why is that an, you know, pertinent to this business meeting? And why do you think that is an issue? Even if it were a fact, which it's not, because there's no such thing as a Black Lives Matter national anthem. <laughs> Raise Every Voice and Sing has been around for 100 years, and it's about lifting all people. And the NFL is, is trying to do the right thing. But I think that's just another case in point of how these things become wedges. Um, by the, you know, the NFL trying to do the right thing and, and, correct the mistakes that they've made in the past, you know, coming down on kneeling and things that they've done wrong before. Now they're trying to correct that. Well, all that's doing is, is taking these, these people who already believe a certain way and it's just driving them further apart. So what have I seen change as a result of COVID? Well, we've learned how to be by ourselves. <laughs> and still get still get our work done and and we've we've done even less communicating you know, because the communication that, that I tend to have with with um, people who I work with is strictly focused on business you know yesterday we had an in-person meeting which is the first time we've done that in a long time um, I don't get on social media because it's just so full of crap that I just can't, I can't possibly stand up to every idiot out there. But when I, 
come across somebody in my real, you know, my, my day-to-day life in the real world, and they spout off these ridiculous statements that are just propaganda. Let's just call it what it is. It's propaganda that's been used to drive people apart. I just look at them and I say, stop. It's not that hard to Google something and find out about it. You know, right. so so learn learn what facts are and stop just repeating this nonsense. And again, it's it's a strategy. It's it's being used to continue to drive a wedge between the American pop population, so that the the factions at the extremes can stay in power, and the the seventy five percent of us that don't share those opinions. Have no say in the matter. Yeah. All right. Great points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let me uh, let me go to uh, to Dwayne to lead this one off. I was, this is one I was going to give you, Jeff, but I'm going to let somebody else start this. And we'll just let you finish it because I'm I think you're going to have a lot to say on it. So, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> there. There was an election last November, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go all politics, guys, but obviously it was a major, major change in this country with the change Perfect. of leadership. Yeah. Obviously. So uh, my, main, my question is, you know, is really what has the new leadership, you know, wh- what has this changed? Has the new leadership um uh, been able or has has simply having new leadership calmed things down and and made true progress more possible or are the the lingering feelings in society from what was there still really the major factor of where we are or is it kind of a mix of both so i'll i'll let you i'll let you kind of take that where where you'd like Dwayne. Okay. Um, so there, there's this. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's a, a TikTok video or or Instagram post, whatever it goes around. Um, I'm not on TikTok, but it, it's the thing that says, "What is something that if you say out loud, most people won't agree with you?" So I'm gonna say something out loud. <laughs> a lot of people may not agree with me. Uh, the current uh, administration is how can I I put this politically correctly (laughs) a couple things there's a couple different parts to to this this administration Um, one it, it is very diverse We'll start there. That is a major, major change that has not been done in a very, very long time. And it is very, very diverse. You have a, a female um, vice president. Again, that's something that's not, that has been done ever. Um, a, a person of color has not been done ever. Um, then he changed the whole cabinet. So you got Asians and Hispanics and um, transgender people. And so you got a whole plethora of, of people that's 
completely different, to have different views, different outlooks, different perspectives in this cabinet, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Okay, so that mm-hmm. on on the we're, we're going to scale up, start off positive and say all this stuff is, is is great because that is how we how we make change. And you know, we start off with the the man in the mirror. We start off with ourselves. Okay, how can we affect change first? And he started with say, hey, I'm gonna start off with me, and the person I play is my running mate is gonna be somebody different, and then everybody else I put in place is gonna be different and have a different outlook versus the same old, same old, same old thing expecting different result. That's the first thing. So when you first got in the office, you know, everybody cheered, great, yada, yada, yada. It was wonderful for the most part. Now that he's been in office, uh, I don't really see so far a lot of good that has been done. Um, so, again, this, this part I'm, I'm going to say out loud that a lot of people may not agree with. What he has done to try to calm or unite the country is throwing money at the problem. It's supposed to get ready to come up with a, a fourth stimulus package or, or another uh, another check, another check to come out. And then you're just constantly throwing money at the problem. But yet, more more and more uh, businesses are, are failing. They, they got all these PPP loans, and people had to get in trouble with all these PPP loans and all this stuff like that. And they're still doing, trying to figure out the, the debt forgiveness with these student loans. But like I said, people are, are still out of jobs. You, uh, people are still not getting, like I said, closer earlier, not getting the proper health care and stuff like that. It's, I know, again, it's, it's, it takes time and it, it, it's a process. But just constantly just throwing money at the, at, at the situation is, like I said, just throwing, throwing a band aid on, on a Hoover Dam and has a leak in it. That's really not helping. Hey, Dwayne, I would, yeah. could I just interject something real quick? Um, leaders are like offensive linemen. When they're doing your, their job, you don't hear much about them. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You, you can you can you can agree or disagree with policy in terms of you know are, is the is the economy overstimulated? Is it understimulated? Are we you know what what are we doing right and wrong from a policy standpoint? That that's that's not leadership. That's just people's positions on things okay but true leaders work behind the scenes and they use people to the best of their abilities they 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 surround themselves with capable people mm-hmm. and they let those people do their jobs and i think what we've seen since the election is a 180 degree shift in that from a, a an administration that was very much Top down to an administration that is very um, spread out in terms of responsibility. Everybody gets to do their own job. Would you agree with that? I, I agree with that part. Uh, that was I didn't uh, dispute that, that that part at all. That he's not working I, again. I hope that I haven't seen a major change as of yet what i've seen so far is hey let's throw out 
this this packet. Let's throw out another stimulus package. Let's just keep throwing money in the situation. Uh, okay, guys. Dwayne, when you say you haven't seen a major change, what type of change are you talking about? Okay, so prime example of say say June Juneteenth, right? Everybody was so up in, up in arms. Oh yeah, we we get another federal holiday. But mm-hmm. why? Like June nineteenth again. I'm gonna say something again against popular belief. June nineteenth again. This is my own personal opinion. Is uh, a fraud. It, it is a sham. It, it it should not be a, a national holiday. Again, here is why. June nineteenth is the day that the slaves were freed. What two, three years later after they were freed? That shouldn't be a holiday. That shouldn't be celebrated when the, f- the fact that slaves had been freed already. That's the first issue. Second issue yeah. is when the it was a bunch of issues with the the Asian hate because of the the former administration kept saying it was the China flu, China flu, and all the uh, Asian hate and a lot of Asian hate, all the stuff like that. They got laws to protect them. Is 15 bills that went across the office to try to help uh, other people of color that kept getting denied. That's what I mean. Make real changes, not just keep throwing stuff on the But again, like, that's maybe me arguing with different policies and procedures of how stuff is, is being done or not done. Okay. Well, guys, I think, I, I think he's. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, I, or, uh, uh, this is Slim. Uh, sorry. I, I think he has a tough go. I think he really has a tough go, especially as far as how this country was so divided over these last four years. He's not only fighting against, or I shouldn't even say fighting, he's trying to deal not only with the Republican Party, but also with the party of four five the man who shall not be named. He has to deal with that aspect as well, which is, to me, is is a tough go. It's a slow, slow process. Uh, and um, I think you may see, you know, you talked about the stimulus, Dwayne. I think you will start to see progress once September rolls around and the stimulus is gone, where... Uh, like right now in the airports uh, in Dallas, for example, a lot of the businesses are closing early because employees, there's no employees there. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's yeah. no employees there because they're still receiving the stimulus package, uh, which is better than the possible jobs that are out there. Um, I think once that runs out, you may see a little bit of a change in the economy. I'm not going to say it's going to be a great change, but you'll see a little bit of a change. But uh, it's going to be a slow process. And and I'm going to wait till 2022 when the mid midterms happen and see how America stands on that aspect. Is there uh, still such a huge 
uh, uh, stand with Trump that we'll see in those in those polls uh, in the midterm? Um, or has there been a little bit of a, a change in in thought process and and in how Americans uh, think uh, over these last two years? So for me personally, it's a wait and see game. And uh-huh. uh, I think uh, the economy has gotten better. Um, there are jobs out there. There's there's jobs out there. It's just well, that it's right a, now nobody's taking them. Yeah, nobody's taking them. You know, right. nobody's taking some of these jobs. And that's been my, my, my su- su- surveillance of an understanding of, like I said, it's a ton of jobs and, and people are, they definitely need help. And like I said, you, you can go to stores now and it'd be, like I said, still one cash register and the line belongs. It's not like people aren't shopping. It's not like people aren't, aren't um, trying to, you know, get stuff done. Um, but like I said, if, uh, we, we had this debate uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Two friends of mine, we were sitting there. We like, if I pay you three hundred dollars a week to to stay on unemployment and do nothing, why would you go back to work? A lot of people are like, are yeah. still apprehensive, or on, like, on taking this, this COVID shot, or having to wear a mask all day, or this, that, and the other. Like, and they're not going back to work, or they haven't been back to work because the plants or or places that they used to work at have closed down because they they were talking about raising the minimum wage and all this stuff like that. A lot has been planned on it this last year and a half. Yeah, a few things, guys. Um, first of all, I think we all know the the economy takes time. Okay, the the economy, you know, you do things now for the economy. They don't take effect right away. Okay, uh, th- there's a there's a lag for for the economy to actually get going. So. Uh, what Slim is saying is correct in looking into, you know, into 22 and yeah. talking about the stimulus, uh, you know, people or the unemployment and so forth. There, I don't know how it is where you guys live, but where where I live, you know, and I I live in, <laughs> I li- I listened to part two of, of our of our show today, so I could kind of remember some of the stuff we talked about on the last on the last one, you know, so. Um, I, I live in Kirk Curb Street's hometown, okay, <laughs> which we got a good laugh over last time. Uh, there, there are some restaurants here that were very popular restaurants that struggled a bit during COVID, you know, because you couldn't do the dine-in. They did some delivery and stuff. And since then, they can't, they can't get their staff up. And they're, they're literally advertising for jobs, you know, sure they're hiring servers, they're hiring, um, they're hiring, uh, you know, um, you know, bus boys and 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 things like that. They're they're hiring cooks. They're, they're hiring cooks starting at like, you know, thirty five, forty grand, and they're mm-hmm. hiring managers and stuff. So th- these aren't all three hundred dollar an hour or, or three hundred dollar a week jobs. Right. They can't get people, so they have gone to. Um, you know, they, they've, they've gone to where they are only open a few days a week and it's a good restaurant. People want to go eat there and they can't because they don't have the staff to support it. I mean, you know, I, I hope it turns around because everybody wants to, you know, support these places, but you know, I, I don't know, I really don't have a solution right now for the, 
you know, for the workforce issue, you know, until, uh, I guess, until September gets there and people want to work again. Hey, Rob. Out of school. Um, go ahead, Jeff. Let me just interject real quick on that. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Amazon is paying 18 to $20 an hour with benefits. Do you know what's happened to Amazon since shutdown? I mean, Jeff Bezos has made so freaking much money that he yeah, can he afford probably. to launch himself into the air as high as he can go. Well, yeah, everybody's shopping at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in in your town, I'm sure I, you I think have... we got a Christmas card from our driver. Yeah. You, you probably have <laughs> multiple Amazon warehouses throughout your town. Okay. And you order something today, you get it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Um, those jobs that, that you're talking about um, are competing for employees with Amazon and with other places whose business over the last 18 months has been through the roof. Um, I spent a good portion of my day today listening to manufacturers talk about how they can't get enough product into the U.S. right now because of yes. delays with uh, ports, uh, delays with transportation. Uh, it's not that, you know, there aren't employees to make stuff. It's that no business can forecast for a 45% increase year over year. You just can't right. you can't ramp up a business that fast, not when it's in a mature industry. So yeah. the this this fallacy that that the only thing keeping people from going back to work is the three hundred dollar a week unemployment supplement um, is is a little too convenient. Um, and if if you really drill down into what's happened in the, the job market in the U.S., there are a lot more things factoring into it than that. Um, think about what's happened with students. Okay. Student, when, when you and I were kids, we went to school, we got a job, okay? We worked yeah. through high school, we worked through college, okay? Yeah. Today, kids don't work. At all. Most of them don't, anyway. Those jobs at the fast food restaurants and the jobs as servers and so forth, those were typically kids putting themselves through school. Okay, today that that workforce has shrunk dramatically. These kids are 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 putting together six figure student loan debts, and when they graduate, they can't afford to go to work for fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah. They, would, they just won't take the job. Okay, so we've seen dramatic shifts in, in how our economy works, and we haven't been able to catch up to it. Um, and particularly since the start of COVID, this is an unprecedented um, impact on how our supply chains work. And, and the, the stimulus has only made that problem worse. The, the fact that you know, people mm -hmm. have extra money to spend on their house. Um, or to, to try to pump back into the economy. The, the, the thought process is sound, okay, but the reality is it's had a negative impact on our ability to, to, to go out to eat. And that, that's, just, that's just the way it is, you know. 
um, it's not going to change until demand decreases to the point that supply can catch up. That's just that's that's our economy right now. Um, and and most of the manufacturers that, that I talk to are saying it's going to be sometime in the middle of next year before that happens. So yeah. I do the Fed has the Fed has to stop pumping money into the economy. Uh, we need to stop giving people um, advances on their tax return from next year. You you wouldn't believe people are that this, this child tax. <laughs> I don't want that money. I want it next year when I use it to go on vacation. <laughs> That's my yeah, son. Yeah. You know, he's like, so, he's like I'm going to so end up owing you, taxes next year. I'm going to so, end up owing money. So, all right, go ahead, coach. You know, here's the 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 problem is is that there's there's a playbook for um, liberals and there's a playbook for conservatives. That's true. And they keep going back to the same playbooks. Yeah. So yeah. we're looking at the uh so I bet you a hundred dollars to a bucket of poop that <laughs> that are having like issues with filling in labor at those restaurants. I bet you they got rid of work study in the high schools. Oh yeah. See, and people don't ever want to talk about that. Because I don't know if they have work study in Centerville, Ohio. Well, they, they got they banned it in Mississippi. And they definitely got rid of it in Tennessee. There goes the issue right there. So that's an education thing where we're constantly telling kids you're not going to make it until you go to college. But guess what? The guy that has the, the, the medical degree, he doesn't know how to lay hardwood floors. <laughs> you know, he right. doesn't know how to change out or do HVAC work. So I think in that, we have to change the way we view what work is, everybody is vital in the system. We just got to yeah. somehow get on message. Everybody has to get on message. Not everybody's meant to be a NFL football player. The stats already proved that. Not everybody's meant <laughs> to be an airborne right. ranger. Hell, the stats show that too. Yeah. So I, I think the messaging has to be consistent coming out of our politicians. In regards to the administration, of course, you guys know I can't really comment on that. But what I can see as a leader is that the leaders are producing the what. And leadership is allowing those other folks to produce the how. So just like Jeff was saying, um, they have synergy going. You know, nobody's getting shot down on Twitter. Um, you're seeing ideas come up. You're seeing people actually putting work and grind, you know, uh, to trying to get things done, even though it appears that it may be just one party that's doing a lot of the work. And the other one just wants to hang out and point to why the other one is not doing anything. I, I don't know. Um, as for, you know, policy and all the other good stuff. Hey, I support my chain of command. I support the leadership. <laughs> that's about as far as I can take it on that with Jits. No, that, that's fine, Coach. Uh, thanks, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, your, uh, I guess what you could say there. So appreciate that. So uh, wanted to, we kind of drifted a little bit off topic, and I know politics is a big part of this, guys. Uh, you know, uh, for my two cents, I think 
I think the new leadership has come in and kind of done what I think coach was alluding to a little bit, and that's kind of just steadied the waters, okay, um, which is kind of what needed to be done. Um, beyond that, you just got to see um, what what uh, what's going to happen over you know over the rest of the over the rest of the uh, uh, administration's term, and, and you know and and, and see, but uh, but yeah. Um, that's a good way to put it, Ryan. That's a good way to put it. Steady the water. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it just kind of felt like uh, like we had this, you know, locomotive just flying off the tracks, you know, and just we need some, you know, um, he's, they've gone in there and just kind of put the brake on. So, um, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, you know, yeah. see what happens. Bring it back around to race, Rod. Um, Politics is the primary driver of race relations in this country. Absolutely. And what we saw um, in in this last election was people saying enough. Um, I think the the prior election, um, people had a number of reasons for voting the way they did. Uh, I think the one I hear most commonly is, um, you know, Washington's full of crooks. We needed somebody to go in there and clean house. Well, the problem is they sent an even bigger crook and a whole (laughs) host of other crooks. So realistically, we can't separate race in America from politics. Um, That's why we have to we have to discuss both. Um, Sure. But um, the the, the biggest benefit, I think, of, of this new administration is it's not something that we have to deal with every day we can have these kinds of conversations without a lot of raw emotion yeah so let let me take that another step and i i am not comparing the current administration to the last one i'm more comparing administrations over the last um, 20 or 30 years okay there, there is a, um, I don't want to call it, there, there is a, a feeling or opinions in this country, um, and, and I'll let you guys jump in on this, because I've said this myself, depending on who's been in office, that, it, and it's, it's a little different now, because I think there are news media um, that back both parties, okay? Um, that um, when you're watching the news, depending on who's in office, um, one party kind of gets more of a pass than the other. And I'm talking in general, again, not talking, comparing, you know, the current guy to the last guy. Okay. Um, What I'm trying to get at is can we really tell if things have gotten better um, by following the news, or do you have to look at other things? And again, you got to you got to kind of cut out the last person that was in office if you're going to look at that. Yeah, I'll say don't don't watch the news. That's fair. 
That's fair. I, th- I know a lot of people don't watch the news because I don't know that the news is always reliable, depending on who you're watching. Well, the the problem with that is, is where where do you get your information if it's if it's not from a trusted news source? Okay. Twitter. It it becomes Twitter. social media, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and now now everybody is basing everything on opinions of other people, and that's even worse. Well, I know, but how much it comes down to the question of how much of the news you're watching is is news versus, you know, given to us with us with a slanted view. That's kind of the question that that you have to answer. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, and and are you willing to wade through that, um, you know, or not? Right. What, what's happened is, is we've, we've lost our ability to, to separate front page news from the op-ed section. You know, yeah. we used yeah. to know that when it's we all went the to the same grocery now. store and saw the National Enquirer or the Globe or whatever, you know, we knew those rags were all just made up shit, right? Right. Now we can't tell what is anymore, what is and what isn't. Right. So people have to be smart enough to figure out when they're being played. That, that's that's the real issue. I mean, figure yeah. out when, you know, when they're just playing you um, and trying to get a particular rise from you. Right. And if, it, if it seems like they're trying to get a rise from you and, and, you're, and they are getting a rise from you, then guess what? They're doing their job. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's working. Exactly, Dwayne. <laughs> what, do you th- what do you think, Slim? Um, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean... Uh, do you, if you get rid of all media, where are you going to get your information from? You know, uh, yeah, you don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. You don't know, you don't know anything. So, uh, it's, it's interesting because there are still people out there that think, even though the judges have come out and said it, They've done research on it that the election was still rigged and it's still being pushed. And and it it I I mean, where do you go if you if you can't go to media? I'm not gonna say I turn around and have a personal trusted news source. I'll check everything out. I'll check Fox out, I'll check uh, MSNBC, I'll check CNN, you know, and everybody has their one that they kind of go towards. But, mm-hmm. you know, when do you turn around and when do you catch when they're doing their slant and stuff and, and kind of draw back from it or, you know, wow. or just fall into it? It's it's real difficult. It is. It's and nowadays, honestly it's that, really, what really you're tough. saying is probably the smartest way to do it. And that's to watch from various sources, or, you know, and try to try to, you know, get, you know, pick the parts out that, you know, that kind of agree and. And, you know, from the various sources. So that that's probably the smart way to, to go about it. So um, another question. All right. And uh, Coach, I'll, I'll let you go first on this. This just so happens to coincide with, with something that I, that I saw on the news. And I want you guys to think about this for a minute. Um, I'm watching the news. And there were 
there were two or three stories in a row on the on the evening news about about African American firsts. Okay. The, um, there was an African-American girl who won the National Spelling Bee, and then I don't remember what the other two were. So my question is, should we be celebrating all of these firsts? Okay, should it be a big deal? Um, and I don't want to make it seem like it's not, but if you're celebrating every time somebody does anything... After a while, does it just become noise? And should it just be, you know, the important things? Or um, I don't know if you're catching my drift at all here. Yeah, is it I, is I, it I, too much to 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 have two or three of these on the news every single night, and to where people are gonna just not even notice it anymore? Or is it a good thing to 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 celebrate every single time? That's a, that's a real a great question to be quite honest with you all right so let me ask slim this slim and Dwayne. okay when the movie black panther came out what was your thoughts i was proud as a peacock why because it was great to see a movie featuring Black actors as the main characters. Uh, uh, it brought in the African culture. Uh, it was just a shining moment to me personally in Hollywood to where after years and years of not having many movies that featured black love you know black triumph uh uh it was you know also the black struggle as well too but more so the black love and triumph you saw a different side and so it 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 gave me some sense of pride uh uh and made me proud you know some people say uh the movie wasn't that great uh to me personally it was uh uh it was a good movie but for me, it was more about the aesthetic, you know, the aesthetics uh, of the movie. Okay. The reason why I asked that was because it was so much pride having your own superhero, not somebody, you know, how they're doing Superman now. They're trying to make Superman into a black dude now. No, none of that. Right. It, it was a serious meaning behind that because if you were to look at it, the movies prior to that, most of the movies that you see us in are us being a drug dealer, uh, committing crimes. You know, things are changing, though. You know, the past 15 years started changing, you know, with Blade 20 years ago. Before right. then, it was uh, Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood. Uh, then before then, it, uh, blacks were featured as pimps, prostitutes, you know, uh, black exploitation movies and stuff. Right. So if you are that little kid and all you see is a world where we're constantly the bad guy we're constantly the other then that eventually becomes a part of who you perceive yourself to be yes um yes so so uh it, it was less miles uh someone's uh opinion of you does not have to be your reality i live by those words 
So when I see like a young kid that I have never seen before, a young black girl that became a, a spelling bee champ, just imagine in 1997 when I graduated, how many spelling bee champs were black? <laughs> or, you know, yeah. you're constantly being told that um, you have, or, or, or if it was not for, excuse me for saying this, white people, there would not be any history or culture in the world. Um, I've seen that on Twitter numerous times, and I've seen representatives that are in the government that have said that, that slaves should be thankful for being slaves, for coming to America, or the Native Americans should be thankful that they were conquered by the Europeans, you know, when they first came here. So I can, I can definitely understand why someone would be like, man, that's just too much. But if you were to peel back the layers and you were to actually look at things, some stuff like that is actually a big deal because guess what? That 14-year-old girl has just given confidence to a nine-year-old kid that's probably from the same city she's from. That kid probably has never been exposed to a spelling bee uh, uh, answer book or something like that until that kid saw that other kid on television. Um, you know, just like the the first guy that ran a sub four mile. Nobody ever thought it could, you know, be done. Yeah. Now you got over at least a hundred people that's doing it in a year. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So you know, you, you you have to see things. We we all have to see someone. I mean, uh, we all had that one kid that was just the greatest athlete to yeah. ever play a game of football that we you know know firsthand. You know, like, yeah, Lori Malloy was the greatest athlete I ever seen when I was a little boy growing up. John Kittner, too. To see their work ethic at Lincoln High School. And then I get to that same high school and I rip it up. I go to college. They go to college. <laughs> you know, right. sometimes you just got to see it. And, and though right. it may seem like it's a bit of overkill, those are things, especially in the African-American community, that we have to see. I mean, because you're talking about folks who cannot say that, hey, my dad fought in the Revolutionary War. You know, you, we really can't say that, yeah, my folks is from the Sierra Leone. No, we're, we're from Greenwood, Mississippi. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and, and, and it helps you carry that sense of self-pride. And I'll give you a story that happened to me in uh, a college here in Colorado in the 80s. I was in a class called the uh, the Chicano Experience, and it was about uh, the Ch Chicano experiences in Chicago and in Los Angeles and other cities like that. And uh, I was one of only a couple African Americans in that class, and um, we had a break, and we were taking a like a ten minute break, and there was a hockey player. Uh, that I knew, and he pulled me aside, and he was from a small town in North Dakota, and he goes, Slim, I just want to let you know that not only being this, in this class has helped me understand, but seeing you here and listening to you speak, I have a different viewpoint because I came from a small town in North Dakota. There are no African Americans there. And all I saw on TV was the pimps, the drug dealers, the pushers. And I had this certain view of African-Americans. But after 
knowing you and seeing you in class and talking to you and stuff like that, I have now, you know, it does affect not only us as African-American as a people, but it will affect others as well, too. You know, you carry that sense of self-pride and and self-confidence. So others, you'll be an example towards other people as well. Yeah. uh, And just to piggyback off that, I was the first to many. (laughs) One guy didn't realize, I guess, that I can read. (laughs) <laughs> and understood <laughs> Krebs cycle so well that I could recite Krebs cycle um, and ask for my assistance. I had a guy in the army, never been around, you know, black people before from Stone Mountain, Georgia. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that place, but that's the, the place in uh, Georgia that has the large monument for the Confederate soldiers. Never okay. been around a black person before in his life until basic training. And we got real tight. I was his best man at his wedding. So uh, I've been a first for a lot of people, and I don't think it's a, a, a bad thing. Hopefully one day um, we can get past that. But I, I think for me personally, for America to succeed, we just got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, we have to celebrate what this country is. This is not Iran. This is not South Korea, North Korea either. We are a melting pot. We have the keys to whatever we want to become here. But for us to make that next jump into where we should and where we all want to be, we have to become appreciative of what everybody you know, brings to the table. Excellent. Excellent answer, Coach. And, and, uh, and Slim, you guys... Uh, handled that very well. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of get back to uh, some things that we talked about on, on the last podcast, just to kind of update and see where where you guys think uh, think we are. And we kind of talked a little bit about um, about police reform, but, um, you know, with with uh, with the show with Chauvin sentencing and so forth. But um I don't know if any of you guys are really up to date on on what's happening, but um I, how do you guys feel about about where that's headed? And um you, you know, I, I, I guess if uh I guess maybe if you put it in, in a word of you know emotions, are are you hopeful? Um you know, do you think anything that's happened in the past 10 months, you know, looks promising in that area? Uh, Dwayne, I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. So in the past 10 months, other than, um, like I said, the, the, the showcase was, was a real huge blow uh, to how police uh, instantly react um, to stuff. Um, so, so the, you, I, how, how can I work this? Pretty much on the same time we, we talked about earlier, it, it's, it's going to be a slow process uh, when changes made. There, there is going to be some changes that that are going to be made, but it's one of those wait and see what happens. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, I, I want to get your your thoughts here because you know when when uh, I, I guess between George Floyd, you know his, his murder and uh, and Chauvin's uh, sentencing, you know there was a lot of talk about you know major major reform, you know in some police departments and that. I don't know if any of that's really happening. Um, you know, so uh, what's your thought about where things might be headed there? I think there's more public accountability at this point than there was even a year ago, um, which is a good thing. I, I don't think you ch you're going to change that culture overnight. Um, you know, there, there was just a story here in town um, about the, um, the the city of Solon, where you and I graduated from high school, Rod. Mm -hmm. um, they were flying the thin blue line flag um, along with the other flags in front of the buildings. And Solon has become a much more diverse community since we lived there. Um, and they, they were getting a lot of feedback, um, um, a lot of pushback um, on that flag because of what it has come to represent. Um, so the mayor made the decision, I think it was the mayor, uh, made the decision to, to take that, they, they, they ordered that flag to be taken down. Um, about a week later, I saw another story that said that, that they had decided to go back to the original flag um, that the that that wasn't a, it, it was called something else. I don't remember what it was called, but it was a, a slightly different type of flag that represented um, law enforcement and support for law enforcement. And they decided that they were going to put that flag back up, but they wanted to get community reaction and so forth. So, I guess the point in all of this is um, it started a dialogue. Um, you know what what did that flag really represent? Um, why were they flying it? Um, and how could they be more responsive to the community that uh, that they're all there um, to serve? And you know, a lot of people got upset for one reason or another. Um, but in the end, they came to a, a solution that, that worked for everybody. And um, you know that that's what America is supposed to be about. You know, we're supposed to compromise and find ways to coexist um, and, you know, celebrate each other's differences as opposed to um, resenting people for being different. But yes. it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the, there are certain elements um, who have sort of hijacked patriotism, uh, have hijacked supporting the police department, um, you know, we've seen it play out in a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, we just have to, we have to see that for what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's people who are playing us to try to stay in power. Yeah. So coach, do you, do you agree with, 
I would say, do you agree with Jeff? But what I really mean is, do you feel like this dialogue is something that uh, is, is open more places around the country, um, maybe from your experience or, or things that you've heard? Um, and do you feel any more comfortable that uh, police reform is maybe headed in the right direction? Uh, for me personally, the, the police reform, for one, they need more police officers. The irony behind that is that the people that are always constantly bringing up uh, certain places having high crime rates are the same places where people don't want to pay more taxes, which is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I think, is we need to have police officers actually living in a community that they're policing. Um, somehow they need to recruit young people, you know, to the police department that's from that neighborhood or that knows of that neighborhood. I think stuff like that matters big time, especially in the city, more so probably in a country town, like where I was at. Um, also these police officers need time off. They need breaks. Um, I have a few soldiers of mine who are police officers and they're in the war zone every day. Um, as much as I want to jump on police officers, you know, for, for what some of them do to few bad apples, a lot of them are actually trying to do the very best they can. Um, but once again, it's it's no excuse for the ones that, you know, have bad behavior. So for the reforms, just like Jeff was saying, there, there is, there is a tactic in place to feed on folks that want to think the worst way possible. Um, I see it on the news a lot from, you know, opinion journalists, or if you want to call them that. And, you know, just like in the past, I, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt, or was it? I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that was talking about, you know, using race as a means to divide folks to get their minds off of the real war, which is class, you know, the have and have nots. And I I think they have done an effective job on their messaging. Um, Everything has been hijacked. I remember when the uh, support the blue lies, the the flag came out. I mean, it was nothing to see, you know, in Memphis, uh, folks black and white with that tag on the back of their car, the front. And then all of a sudden it got co-opted into, um, I guess it's MAGA movement or something like that. And a lot of other things got co-opted into that as well. So what appears to me is that things that started off with good intentions ended up being destroyed uh, by people that had different plans. Um, as for, uh, you know, reform, I I really haven't. You know, been paying much attention to it. I have noticed that, you know, there's a little bit more conversation going on. Um, I still see, of course, on Twitter, you know, if somebody gets pulled over, you should have complied. But uh, it it seemed like dialogue has been started. At least you have more uh, police commissioners who are actually trying to have sit downs in communities. Um, they're, They're trying to tackle the problem. But I just think that in order to get that done, you're going to have to see more leaders from the top uh, getting their hands dirty in this as well. 
Um, and, and basically, I think uh, President Biden and his team came up with like a, a, a grant of some kind for good behavior for officers and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that you do have to have a force that lives within that community, you know, uh, that lives in that area to where the, the folks there know who that police officer is. And, and they respect that police officer is not going to go, you know, outside the bounds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So, so Slim, well, uh, I think it's appropriate that we let you close out this this segment on uh, police reform with, with anything that you might want to add or anything that you might be aware of. Yeah, it's um, it's a slow process. You know, it, I'm just basically rehashing everything that uh Dwayne and 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 coach and everybody else has said that it has to be more community it has to start also at the top you know they're still fighting uh in Washington on what exactly uh the definition of police reform is going to be uh i think to protect and serve needs to mean protect and serve everybody um, have to have officers more so in a community. I just remember growing up with my father and how much he was involved uh, in the community uh, as a as a deputy sheriff. You know, he uh, he basically he was pretty much everywhere where you know I was growing up and my brother and sister were growing up. You know, he uh, volunteered to patrol. Uh, football games and basketball games and and uh, uh, activities like that where he was seen in the community and I guess to be seen in the community is to be respected you have to get that respect uh, by being in the community and listening to what the community has to say uh, the issues you know good and the bad you have to have uh, the police there you know, you won't have any type of reform until you get involved with the community uh, and to help and protect and serve everybody, not just to protect and serve a certain population. Uh, it's going to be a process. It, you know, the dialogue has started, uh, I think, with uh, Chauvin and and uh, a little bit of accountability is is there. Let's see if it continues, if it if it will continue and, and keep going. Like uh, like I said earlier, we just have to keep pushing and we just have to keep fighting for that goal. We just can't let it uh, uh, waft off to where it's forgotten about. You know, we just got to keep pushing and keep reminding. And hopefully we will have a, a type of reform that uh, this country uh that will better this country, that this country can be uh, proud of. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope so. You know, we, we talked a bit last time about systemic racism and economic disadvantages. Guys, it's been 10 months. Um, I think of all the stuff we've talked about, that's going to be, um, this is going to be the issue that's going to linger for the longest. You know, I mean, we, we can all... Um, get along as Americans and I think there's still going to be you know economic disadvantages to to overcome that are just going to take uh, you know 
uh, probably quite a while. Um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't know that really enough has changed there for us to even address that at this point. Um, it's just, it's probably too soon. Um, we also talked about, you know, trying to find common ground. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I, I think when we when we talked about that, we, I think we just talked about getting the word out in that. And um, obviously, we're trying to do that. So um, by doing things like this, and by doing what Jeff Jeff does by talking with friends and everything, um, you know, and anybody anybody that he encounters um, that he has a chance to, um, I, I I guess. Um, I guess what I'll do at this point is uh, is go to Jeff and say, Jeff, um, are there any topics or any angles you feel like we haven't covered at this point? Well, we're over two hours into this, so I think <laughs> yeah, I just kind of wanted to give everybody a shot. Anything you want to bring up before we wrap this baby up? So. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you know what um, we're. I think we, we're, we're transitioning from, um, you know, racism to race relations. Um, we have to find a better way to relate to each other. Um, that's how we will eradicate the bad apples. And, you know, just spending two hours with a group like this and sharing our thoughts, I think, is a great step in that direction that's right that's right uh, coach what would you like I, to I, like to yeah. add just just one thing i i just uh for for everybody that's listening january 6th and i, I want people to understand my thinking on january 6th i'm not going to be long i promise january 6th i went off i was training um was gone for about three weeks into my training and then I get a call from my sister telling me what was going on. What I want Americans to understand is that six was probably the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever seen because I actually turned my phone on. What went through my mind was the colors of that flag. So when I look at the American flag, of course, it's beautiful to me, but the red in that flag, the red in that flag to me symbolizes the blood, the sacrifices that every single person in this country has made and that continues to make on daily, day in and day out basis. We all make sacrifices by getting up in the morning to go to work because we never know if we're going to come back. We make sacrifices all the time. We don't even think about it. We saw Martin Luther King give one of his greatest speeches near there. You've seen presidents give their addresses from there. And to see people go through that capital as if it was a doggone park was a tremendous shame. That was not patriotism. That was something else. I can't say a person is un-American because hell, we really don't know what the definition of what it really means to be an American is all about. But at least 
after that day, we could have united as a country. We could have united and celebrated folks who have passed and paid the ultimate price by coming together and saying with one voice that that was wrong. I, I hope that folks don't look at that as being some form of heroism, standing up to the man because it wasn't. That was a slap in the face to those who was in the Revolutionary War, to those who were in the Civil War, and every war that America has fought in. And wars are not necessarily overseas. They're right here fighting for women's rights, the civil rights movement, LBGQT movement. Those are wars in themselves. But that building should have never been desecrated the way it was. That's all I got on that one. Definitely agree. Yeah. Thanks, Coach. Uh, Dwayne, do you have closing thoughts or anything you'd like to add? Um, last thing I got to say is I appreciate each and every last one of you guys. You always bring so much insight to the table. And everybody always comes with a pleasant thought. And, and it's good to always have these topics and be able to have this open discussion. Uh, I'm like say a, a plethora of things. We, we talked about, um, you know, the, the little girl winning the, the spelling bee and the uh, Olympics. And we talked about the president's races and economy. We talked talk about a whole bunch of different different, different things. Um, so it's good to talk about a, a plethora of different things. And everybody comes on one accord to either agree or agree to disagree. And um, like I said, th these conversations that we have is what it, it, I feel that it takes for us as people to uh, in this uh, battle, of, like you said, of racism or, or what's the word you use? Um, race relations. Uh, to start building those yeah, that's what Jeff said. Yeah, race yeah. relations. Yeah. yeah. To start building those uh, relationships back in uh, and, and, and more positive uh, format. So I, I appreciate uh, the, the opportunity again. Uh, as always, to be on, on this podcast and to, to get the chance to see what you guys uh, think and you know what's going on with you guys. I, you know, I know it's almost a year, so we got, we got to do this a lot sooner than a year from now. But sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne. Slim, what do you have for us? Uh, I just want to thank everybody. Uh, thank you, Rod, uh, for bringing us together again. It's been too long. I always enjoy these conversations, uh, enjoy these topics that you bring up. You know, you see we go always over two hours. It probably could go two hours more, you know. Um, it's just it's just great that that we're able to sit here as as, as men, as different people, uh, even though that Dwayne me and Coach are African-American. We each have our own different experiences, therefore different way of seeing, uh, seeing things. And it's great not only to, 
speak, but it's just great to sometimes, you know, we forget to listen. And uh, you brought up before the whole topic of being empathetic. You know, I think uh, America has lost a little bit of that, you know, and part of getting that empathy back is listening. You don't have to agree on everything, but it's good to listen, to have an open mind. And then maybe as you pull away, maybe from this podcast to sit and think about the topics that were discussed tonight, you know, Uh, and uh, I just think it's it's a great opportunity for people. I hope a lot of people will turn around and listen to uh, when you have these podcasts. I mean, you do great sports, but also I think this is just as important to it. And, And I remember when you first decided to do this 10 months ago and you weren't sure how things were going to turn out you know and you've done a great thing by doing this and i hope uh you think of me uh again when you decide to do this again to be on the panel you know i'll always come you know whenever whenever you ask so uh thank you thank you all once again it's always great uh to be here always man i appreciate you too mr rod jeff Absolutely, guys. Appreciate you. Well, guys, we uh, you know we we have different backgrounds. Uh, we may not always agree on everything, but we we have common goals here, and you know that's to uh, to talk about to talk about this issue. You know, race relations, and of course, you know the other things that go with it, and. Until we can address each other simply as Americans and as brothers, we're going to keep talking. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.